Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing Guess what we're going to talk about today? James. We have been at it for five months, going verse or kind of idea by idea through James, and we're, we're going to finish up the first chapter of James today. Movement forward. All right, James 26. I'd love for you to grab your Bibles. I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation, uh, just because I like the way that it's reading for me these days. And, um, and we're going to dig into this. So I'll just go ahead and read it first, and then we'll unpack some things here. If someone believes they have a relationship with God, but fails to guard his words, then his heart is drifting away, and his religion is shallow and empty. True spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father God, is to make a difference in the lives of orphans and widows in their troubles, and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. Jesus, there is so much in this that there's no way we can unpack it all uh, today. And if you want me to extend it out to next time, that's fine. I I just need your help. I just would love for you to inspire not only my words, but inspire our listening. So Spirit of Truth, we invite you to lead us into truth. And we thank you, God, that uh, your word uh, tells us that, um, that when there is this testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy is moving And the way I translate that is, Jesus, we exalt you, and we want to testify of your goodness. And so let the spirit of revelation speak to each individual what they need to hear today. And speak your heart and your mind to us. Give us your insights and encourage us, we pray. I pray for the anointing of your spirit to move between us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I feel like I, I, I have to just start from the onset and saying that this teaching is going to be kind of meaty, all right? It's not your freshman-level intro to spirituality sort of teaching, uh, but it's a deeper dive, okay? And so my hope is that, <clears throat> that no matter how conceptual we get in this this morning, that we'll be able to land on some very practical application that you and I can apply even this week, okay? So that's my hope. So the ending of this, uh, these two verses, uh, James says, true spirituality or religion, maybe your uh, translation says religion, that is pure in the eyes of the Father is to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. All right, fasten your seatbelt. 
Um, the phrase the world's values here is from the word cosmos, actually. And it literally means ordered or ordered system. And so the word is used throughout the scripture uh, to describe the world. Uh, the word is used to describe the world, the universe, worldly affairs, as well as the inhabitants of the world. And so what I believe James wants us to remember here in this is that we live in this tension between the ordered systems of humanity that we could call the world and the ordered systems of God that we could call the kingdom of God. All right? So James is bringing to us this, this idea that there's a tension between these two ordered systems. Um, and so you remember Jesus constantly saying things like, hey, change the way you think, change the way you act, in other words, repent, because what? The kingdom of God is at hand. I was thinking about something here. Um, this morning I was up in my office, and you know last time I spoke, I, I shared a story about Mark Weaver and I at hunt camp, and we're sitting by the fire, and we're listening to poetry, and we're having these one-tier moments, and we're remembering all of the great things that the Lord has been teaching us about our identity as sons in the Lord. Well, I was thinking about another time that I was with Mark, and he and I were sitting, but we were, we were in Florida, and it was dark at night, and we were sitting out there listening to the crickets, and we're in two lawn chairs sitting by a lake, and we were at this retreat center where guys like Jack Taylor and Bob Mumford and Dudley Hall and these characters were like pouring out to us all of this amazing teaching about the kingdom of God. And Mark and I felt like we were 16 years old because we had snuck out of the dorm to go smoke cigars. <laughs> and, um, but I was thinking about the depth of those teachings and I was thinking about how much I miss Jack Taylor. You know, he's my spiritual papa. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, I miss that guy. And I miss his influence in my life. Because um, when I was a young man, okay, I was a boy. I was probably 17 years old sitting in this church when it was all oriented towards that way. And we're all staring at the back of each other's heads. And it was a good Southern Baptist church. And Jack Taylor had been invited to come and share by our pastor, uh, Richard Lord. And Jack Taylor was the first guy in my young Christian walk to drop the seeds of the kingdom into my heart. And now, all these years later, Jack and I had been in a relationship, you know, some 40 years. And so he passed away last year, and I miss him dearly. But when I think about the kingdom of God, and I think about religion that God considers pure, it's a religion that places its highest priority on following the way of God that was on display in the person of Jesus Christ. And, um, and it's not to follow the, the cosmos or the ordered system of fallen humanity especially under the influence of spiritual darkness. And so I want to, to think in terms of transformation here. From one form being deliberately and entirely reformed into a new thing. 
That's what Jesus announced when he came onto the scene. I mean, and Romans 12, 2 makes it very clear. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be like, think about, okay, think about the classic potluck downstairs and you have the jello that was molded in that really decorative molding and then they flip it upside down. You remember that? Okay, so think about your life being poured into something, into a form, and you settle into that form, and that you start to reflect that form and manifest the, the reality of that form. What the scripture is telling us is we do, not, we, we do not want to be conformed into the patterns of this world. We actually want to be transformed by the renewing of our thoughts, of our words, and of our actions. So when Jesus comes declaring the arrival of the kingdom of God, he was stepping squarely into the world, into the cosmos of greed and oppression and exploitation and fear and hatred and isolation and lawlessness and dysfunction and trauma and death. And he was announcing that the way of life and divine love had arrived. And you no longer have to be conformed into that pattern of the world. So we align ourselves with one kingdom or another, right? And this is the encouragement of James here. When we try to blend the ways of Jesus with the ways of the world, well, James tells us that we're actually self-deceived, our hearts are being led away from God, and our religion is shallow and empty. These are heavy words, but they're important. Because listen to 1 John 2.15 When we're encouraged, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. When you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father operating in you. And this is reinforced by Jesus in John 15, 19. If you were of the world, of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world... I have chosen you out of the world because the world because of this the world hates you. So there's this dynamic here where yeah, we live in this space, we're on the planet. We integrate with life uh, through family and work and culture of society and our community and we move through these different spaces and yet we're not of the world. We're in it, but not of it. Something I've been thinking about um, is that tension between separating yourself from the systems of the world while at the same time loving the world. Now, this may sound like um, a bit of an oxymoron, but we remember John 3.16, don't we? We remember John 3.16 and 17, for God so loved what? The world. So again, that word cosmos could also be translated as the inhabitants of the world. And God loved the inhabitants. He loves us so much that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 is key for me as well. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. And so... The fact is that Jesus himself prays in John 17, Father, I'm asking that you not take 
them, being us, the disciples, out of the world, but keep them away from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we're in the world, but not of the world. And we'll get to the prayer here in just a minute, a little deeper. But this is interesting in verse 18. Just as you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. How did God send Jesus into the world? With love, to bring wholeness, right? Salvation, not condemnation. And so this is echoed in 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. I feel like I'm on like the fast, like I'm on the treadmill of fast track scripture. Like I'm just laying it down, people. You picking it up? Because it's really important for us to hear the heart of God when it comes to his relationship with the world. Because in the same way that God sent Jesus into the world, he's sending us into the world. In the same way that Jesus had an attitude about the world, we're to have an attitude about the world. And the attitude's not always negative. We are called to love people and to be a resource by God to bring a difference into people's lives so that they can experience wholeness and they can be orienting towards the source. We're the resource. God's the source. And so this is really important for me. Now, back into uh, our message this morning, we see James describing spirituality that is pure in the eyes of God as um, it's a really healthy mixture, isn't it? It's a mixture of caring for people of the world, especially those who are marginalized and in great need. Specifically, he calls it out as caring for the widows and the orphans. And we'll get to that in just a little bit more. But especially, all at the same time, refusing to be under the influence of the world. So, are you okay if we auger down even a little deeper? You guys all right with this? No one's glazed over quite yet. All right. Listen to Jesus' prayer in John 17 again. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them away from the evil one. Hmm. When it comes to exploring what it means to stay unpolluted by the world, we have to allow ourselves to have a supernatural or a spiritual worldview. We have to put that lens on. To put it simply, the world is influenced by spiritual forces. If Jesus is to pray, God, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking you to keep them away from the evil one, then you have to know that there's a, a connection between the influences of the world and the evil one. And so I've come to know this. I learned this actually in Florida when I was down listening to Bob Mumford with Mark Weaver by my side. I've come to learn that there are these, what we could call non-corporal entities. Now think about this. Corporal punishment is like hurting the flesh. Uh, Corporal is body. Non-corporal entities means that these entities have no physical body, right? And we remember Ephesians 6, 12, where it says, we do not fight against flesh and blood. In other words, our enemies are not corporal. They don't have bodies, But we wrestle against 
evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers of this dark world, against evil spirits in spiritual realms or heavenly places. Okay, so we're just going into that realm. We have to remember that for us to stay unpolluted or uncorrupted from the world, that we have to contend with spiritual forces. And this is why Jesus says, look, I don't want... Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world. They need to be in the world. And in the same way that you sent me into the world to love people, not to condemn them, not to judge them, but to bring wholeness to them, to bring a a representation of my ruling authority, my kingdom, I want that transformation to be happening throughout the rest of history of mankind, and I want my people to be actively a part of that process. But while they're there, would you keep them, like keep the evil away from them? So we understand that there's this conflict that we're in. It's a spiritual conflict. And the the Passion Translation refers to these non-corporal entities. It says it this way, a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Can you start to feel some compassion for people who are under the influence of spiritual forces that are bringing destruction to their lives? We know that the stated value of evil is hatred. And the goal of evil is to steal, kill, and destroy. So bear with me here. Do you remember Jesus saying in Matthew 18, 20, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst. Do you remember that? There's this thing about the presence of a non... Okay, I'm just going to refer to Jesus. Even No disrespect, Jesus. No disrespect, Holy Spirit. But you're a non-corporal entity. So think about this. The power of agreement where two or more gather in a particular name, the name of Jesus that non-corporal entity comes into their presence and is between them. You tracking with me? All right. I believe there's a spiritual dynamic that revolves around this power of agreement between human beings. Jesus goes so far as to teach that if two or more of you agree upon anything on this earth, anything that you ask or desire, it shall be done for them. Now, If we ask in the name of Jesus, it will be done by the Father who is in heaven, according to Matthew 18, 19. But what about the agreement of two or more human beings in the name of anything aligned with this world? Is there a a power of agreement that ushers in the influence of non-corporal entities? I know it's a stretch, But I want you to think about it because anytime you make an agreement with someone else and it's not aligned with the kingdom of God and it's not aligned with the truth of scripture and it's not aligned with the ways of Christ, then you are opening yourself up to be influenced by a non-corporal entity that according to scripture is actually evil. All right, told you we're going in the deep end. You got your water wings on, right? So there, Mark and I were learning all about the kingdom of God from Jack Taylor and those guys. And, and uh, one of the things that Bob Mumford and uh, Jack Taylor and 
those guys brought to us was this idea. Well, it's a Greek word. Um, it's actually probably more like a preface to a word. It's like the word arche. Um, and it's where we get words like architect or hierarchy or anarchy. And it all has to do with ruling authority. And so the chief ruling authority, or the architect, when it comes to the systems of the world, Jesus addressed many of them. In fact, he laid it out where he even addressed like the RK of biological family. The chief ruling authority of a human being under the influence of family culture. And he's saying, look, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to actually uh, dismantle your agreement with that culture and come into agreement with my culture. He uses hard words in that. He's like, if you don't hate your mother and father. But I think what he's really saying, it's not about hatred. It's more about, would you allow your heart to realign itself to me and to my ways and to my kingdom family on the earth? Now, you can still love and honor and hang out with your family, but just don't let their ways influence you more than my ways. Basically what he's saying, right? And he said that about social and economic strata. He even says that uh, related to, well, you can pick it up in Paul's teachings when, he, when he's saying, like, if anyone is in Christ, they're no longer slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, you know, so he's breaking down all of these world systems and he's saying the kingdom of God is something other, conform to it. He, Jesus, I mean, when it came to political power structures and when it came to religious constructs, I mean, he was the most critical to, towards people who were in authority of those systems who had been polluted by the influence of the world, and yet they had slapped God on it. He goes so far as to say this, Woe to you, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside you're full of dead man's bones and are unclean. I'm going to just give you a little snapshot into something that I have to take inventory of all the time. The tell... You know what I mean by that? The thing that gives me a clue in my own life that I've made any agreement with some pattern of this world is in my speech. So James is like wadding this all up together here because he talks about, hey, if you think that your religion is pure and or you have this great relationship with God, but, but you, don't, you don't have a a consistent speech and you don't have like any sort of restraint on your speech and you don't have any sort of control of what you're saying, um, then, then you have to take note because you could, be, you could be self-deceived here and your heart could actually be drifting away from the ways of God, the kingdom of God, and you could actually be under the influence of a lesser RK, a lesser ruling authority. Think about the kid in the hood, you know? He's at his grandma's house after school and he's eating chocolate chip cookies and he's sweet as can be. And then he leaves her house and he goes around the corner and he starts to hang out with his friends who are in this gang and under the influence of that ruling authority, 
that has been empowered through agreements of two or more that have come under the name of that gang, everything about that kid's language changes, everything about his demeanor changes. Now, that's an easy one, right? That's a kid in the hood. That's not you. Or listen to the politician who speaks of their religion out of one side of their mouth while at the same time utilizing the politics of fear and dominion to accomplish their agenda. And, you know, you start to recognize that they might actually be under the influence of of an RK that has been empowered by an agreement in the name of whatever their affiliation or their cause is. So I have to listen to the way I talk. Am I the same person everywhere I go and with every group I'm with? If not, I might be influenced by a lesser rule and authority than the kingdom of God. Okay? So back to this tension between the ordered systems of this world and the ordered systems of the kingdom of God. Hebrews 11, it's really fascinating to me. You know, that's the, that's the faith chapter, right? Everybody who's named in there, it's, they're accredited. Their faith is being affirmed because of their obedience and their, they're considered righteous because of their faith to believe God and to do things like, for example, Abraham, right? This guy left everything because God told him to. And it says this, that he was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham, in his journey of life in faith, was constantly on the lookout for, you could say city, you could say a people, you could say a family, you could say a group, you could say whatever, whose architect, whose chief, ruling authority was God. Abraham longed for the kingdom of God to be established on this earth as it is in heaven. And it says in Hebrews 11 that a lot of these people had dreams and hopes that they didn't get to see fulfilled and realized in their day. And yet we know that Jesus is the fulfillment Jesus is the chief ruling authority. Jesus is the architect of the kingdom. And he's over all the lesser ruling authorities. Ephesians 1.21 says that Christ is seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. And not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So if you want your spirituality to be pure then allow yourself to be under the influence of Jesus Christ as your chief ruling authority. He came in love, and he came to bring wholeness. If there's anything that you're aligning with, anything I'm aligning with that is not operating in love and is not facilitating wholeness, then it's suspect. The influence of Jesus will lead you to those in need. I remember climbing a mountain <clears throat> with some friends. Uh, we had camped out. We climbed Mount Lindsay, which is south in the Sangre de Cristos. And we got up early and we climbed that thing. And it was beautiful. And 
And then we were driving up the, the, the valley there, going up towards uh, Westcliff. And we look off to the left, and we see this group of mountains that's in there. And there's one called Huron. And there's some other really big, scary ones in there, too. But we knew that if we were going to pull in there at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and climb a second peak that day, we better stick with Huron. And so that's what we did. Drove up there, got to the trailhead. It was my latest summit ever. It was 9.30 when we summited. It was getting dark. And I had pulled ahead of the others that I was with just a little bit, and I was having this amazing experience of like just being fascinated by the wonders of God. So much so that I couldn't contain it. Like I started preaching to the rocks as I'm walking up. My God is amazing, you know, that whole thing. I don't know if you've ever done that. Maybe I'm the only one who does that kind of stuff. Um, and I was just, it was more than just me making declarations of God's power and beauty and glory. It was me experiencing it. Like I was actually like internally, I was having this connection with who Jesus is. It was wonderful. I got to the top and I pulled out my stove and I'm brewing up some hot water for some tea. And uh, one of my teammates come up, comes up and, uh, <clears throat> and she's like, yeah, Steve decided to turn back. And then she's sitting across uh, this little windbreak that's up there at the top. And I, I hear her wheeze. And I was like, was that you? And it was like this high-pitched, squeaky, maybe some of you have heard this story. And I was like, was that you? And she's like, we're on top of a 14er. It's getting dark, and my friend cannot breathe. She's having this first time ever in her life asthma attack where her, her, you know, everything just closes up. And so kick into gear, you know, and I try to get her some cold water to drink and have her do this purse breathing technique that I learned in EMT school and all this kind of stuff, pack up, and now literally arm over the shoulder, she's getting tunnel vision, her vision's going down like this, and she's getting wobbly and wobbly, and then we go down towards tree line, and she starts to like revive, and she starts to come back too, and by the time we get to the car, she's like, fine. Like, what just happened? And so I was asking the Lord about that. I was like, what just happened? And he basically, the impression I got was, to the degree that you're going to allow yourself to be fascinated by who I am, it's to that degree I'm going to lead you to the vulnerable and to the needy. I was like, hey, thanks, Angela, for that life lesson. Glad you're okay. You know, but really, it was like, it was one thing for me to, like, be in my ethereal space, to be in my beautiful holy bubble, preaching to the rocks, and it was another thing for me to have hands-on, practical application of helping someone in need for real. And it's not one or the other. It's both and. And I would say that if we want our spiritual life to be vibrant and fully alive, then we have to be willing to step into both. Our personal, deep relationship with God, allow him to like fascinate us with his goodness and wonder, and let that inform us and empower us when we step towards the marginalized. I'll just kind of close it out with this. The word orphan here 
is someone who is bereft of a father or a teacher or a guide or a guardian. I had it in my heart early in my ministry to work with orphans. That's why I went to Myanmar so many times, and that's why we set up this whole, like, you know, fundraising campaign to help support these orphans that we knew about that in our sister church. And then the Lord started to speak to me about, like, those who have, like, orphan mentality in their spiritual life. They're Christians. They love Jesus. But their sense of identity, that they are truly sons and daughters, has not been established. And, and wouldn't it be the same, then, if we were to make a difference in their life as well? Or what about the widow, the bereaved? The metaphor that this word is used for in Scripture is also for a city stripped of its inhabitants and riches, represented, it's the same as a widow. So for Abraham to search for a city who's, that has a foundation, whose architect is God, you get where I'm going with this? It's like there's some crossover between, yes, we can literally help widows. We should. We should literally be engaged in their lives. We should be asking them, what do you need? You need anything? Can I help you? Um, and also, we should understand that there are people who are bereaved, who do not have a sense of place. Their lives are stripped out. It's like they have... Um, a need for a home. And so you get where I'm going with this. Um, I think in the most practical terms, we can be helping orphans and widows, but I think this also represents, because when you think about orphans and widows, in the time of James writing this, they were the most uh, marginalized so often. Um, so I would just put in there the marginalized, anybody in our, in our city, anybody in your neighborhood, anybody who who you would be led by the Spirit to make a difference in their life, I would say that it gets that practical. And I just want to encourage us towards that. So I think what John wants, or James wants us to understand is that our, our religion is more than aligning ourselves with ideals and concepts. Our spirituality shows itself in action towards those who are most vulnerable. And so with that, I'll close. Jesus... Thank you for your ways. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us in your ways. Thank you for communion with you. I pray, Lord, that you would bless each person here with a renewed sense of your nearness. I pray that we would have like just, just sharp attunement to what you're saying and showing and revealing to us. I pray a blessing over each person here, God, that you would help them take inventory and that they would, yeah, just have that courage to dismantle any allegiance to any lesser ruling authority in their life and come more fully into your kingdom. And I thank you, God, that as we seek first your kingdom, your promises are that you would provide everything that we need. And I just want to ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here in need, that you would 
not only provide for them in supernatural ways, but that you would give them the courage to connect with another and for us as a community to be actively involved in, yeah, just walking life out together to be that blessing that Nicolette was talking about. And so I just want to thank you for this fellowship and our time together today. And I pray all this in your name, Christ. Amen. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.